The uh, theme for the afternoon talk is the uh, subject, object and truth. And then this evening there will be the inquiry period. Uh, Tomorrow uh, evening we'll put on the uh, music with uh, Anthony and the uh, Johnsons. So this afternoon is the warm-up act. But I have to be careful not to build him up too much, otherwise it's a sure guarantee of disappointment. <laughs> How many in the room here know this singer? Zilch. All right. So, that's his press agent. <laughs> 5% commission. <laughs> here we go. So, when we look at this world, relative, ordinary, every day, you, me, and the rest, we can look at it in a very, very, very personal light. And we can divide the world up rather conveniently. We can say, with uh, alarming uh, repetition, I am here, and uh, this is me, sitting uh, over here. And everything which is outside of this uh, form, you know, an outer, is not me. It's, it's you, it's that, it's this, it's something else, but it's not me. And this view, with the great support of uh, language, of course, is said personally in our thoughts and uh, socially. With the written uh, word, with great frequency, that the very strength of the repetition fixes it and establishes it, it persuades us this is really, really how it is. And therefore it becomes the truth. So truth is that, in everyday mind, which is repeated frequently enough until one believes it. And when one has got this truth, I am here, you are there, and there is a real difference between us, and that is that, and that's not me, and this is not me, and that's not me, but this is me, and this is myself. Once we advocate that, we express it in um, countless ways, it becomes called living in the real world. Because that's the real world. I am here, you are there, this is this, that is that, and this is me and that's not me, this is how it is. And it would be just stupid to think this might be a lie. This might be a fiction. This might be a construct Uh, that the self, the subject, has devised and has organised and put together and is convinced about. So supposing we had a little doubt, the the, the Buddhists have said rather, rather sweetly, small doubt, small awakening, middle sized doubt, middle sized awakening, big doubt, big awakening. So we won't get too ambitious, we'll go for the little one first. And we say, I want to have a little doubt in this, in this reality that I, I'm t- 
totally convinced about, and uh, this truth, or this idea, this is how things really, 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 really are, because it's the real, 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 real world. When I begin to have a little doubt in something, it's not that I'm suddenly discovering in this subject-object view, which is but I'm suddenly discovering something else dramatically different. But I'm just shaking the foundation of my belief, my view of how things are. I'm not absolutely persuaded of what I've told myself or what I keep telling others. And when we begin to shake, like the Buddha says, it's like a house and you just start to shake it, little... We have a little earthquake inside of us. And when things begin to shake and shake up, it isn't an easy process. It can generate for some a bit of a crisis. Because one doesn't know what's what any longer. And that can happen in meditation. That can happen spontaneously that can happen through a sudden change that can happen through taking some drugs or whatever anything can shake the structure there and when you look when you you I we look at our life and the formation of it here's the formation of it what holds it up forget the eye and the other for the moment what holds it up what holds up this little formation called uh, a few people spending a week together? And what holds it up is everything which is, as it were, outside of the formation. The rain is, is as much holding up this event. And the trees and the flowers and the sky and the, and the earth and countless other formations of people and beings, etc. And... It wouldn't take much. It could just take, as it does happen some, sometimes, a single phone call from somebody elsewhere. And that formation, that familiarity, that this world that you and I are in together, suddenly, for one person or two people, can just collapse. And it will anyway. On Friday morning, our culture, our environmental life, and we just go. And the subject object, that's you and me in it, will just disappear. And we'll kind of move on to something else. This is our life. In formations, supported by that which is out of it. In fresh ones, supported by that which is out outside of it. And all this process going on, Unfolding, unfolding, unfolding. Subject, object, subject. <coughs> At the moment, I am the subject for you. And, I'm sorry, the object for you. <laughs> Freudian slip. And you are the object for moi uh, as the subject. And for the immediacy of things, this is our world. This is the world that we live in. And... In that dynamic called this world that we live in, you say, what's truth? What's real? Is it this dissolution, this arising? 
hanging around for a little while and dissolving and a new thing arising and dissolving and then maybe not an arising. It's called death. Could be death of the retreat, death of the day, death of the ego, death of life, anything. So there's this forming and dissolving, forming and dissolving. See, okay, there's some truth in that. It might be a little bit more true, shall we say, in the looking at it, to recognize it in our looking uh, at it, it maybe show a little bit more wisdom than constantly living in a world which is obsessing about myself and obsessing about what is not myself. Because there's not much else we obsess about. We keep going on about oneself and when we get tired of that we keep going on about somebody else or others. When we get tired of that so we come back to ourselves. <laughs> and if we get tired of both we'll go into philosophy <laughs> or we'll become psychologists or, um, or metaphys- metaphysicians or something. And this movement back and forwards of the layers of subject, object, self keeps going on. I want to look deeper. I don't want to draw a hard and fast conclusion anyway that this is the only reality. This is what truth is. This is what reality is in its very simple way. One of the issues that arises, I think perhaps it arises for uh, plenty of us, is um, the issues around, I mentioned the word the other day, it's a rather important dynamic, this one, in the subject-object field. I'd like to give a kind of sideways view of this. And that is the issue of authority. And the difficulty and plenty of you, me, us, here in this room, we have some authority in life, whatever it might be, in various roles and identities and positions at work and at home and training and skills and relationship, authority is enter. So there's a question of authority in the relationship of persons, subject to the object, called persons. Oh, the object looks at the subject, because we keep being both. We have to keep dealing with the fact I am a subject, and we have to keep dealing with the fact that to somebody else I'm an object. Sentient, we sometimes forget that. Living object. We don't always treat each other like we were living objects, but we are. I know it's hard to recognize sometimes with some of us, but we are alive. And there's this world taking place, and in that there's an issue on which all conflict violence and war and problem and difficulty is around and it's around the issue of authority. It's always around authority. And human beings, you, me, us, we are terribly vulnerable around authority. We may have it, some of us do, I have the privilege of having it here, Nicole has it here, and others have it in different uh, ways. 
And it means, therefore, it would appear that one person or two has, it would appear, more authority than the other others. You know, I, I come and I say, uh, um, timetable starts, we kick off at 6 a.m. Already. That's, that, that, that's authority. In, we don't sit here in some democratic institution and say, well, what time should we start? Six? Or maybe like Nicole used to do uh, 3.30. 3.30 a.m. Because in the Zen tradition, they like you to be neither awake nor asleep because they think <laughs> it's a good middle ground and whatever. Excuse my gross. <laughs> Forgive me. And um, somebody else says, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I love this. What the hell do you mean you're not a morning person? Do you, don't you realise the morning comes up every day? I, I'm not a morning person. Perhaps we could start with a 20-minute um, a meditation around 10 o'clock. <laughs> but no longer than that, um, because it might be stressful for me. So we could spend days just discussing. No, no, no. We have, a, you know, I nearly said an enlightened dictatorship. This is ambitious. We have a dictatorship here. <laughs> and the dictatorship says 6 a.m., like it or not. However, there is a little bit of kindness. <laughs> not too much. <laughs> we, we, we don't knock on your door and say, where the hell are you? Etc. And, and we demand more exercise than just hearing the morning bell and turning over in your bed. <laughs> this is a, a very poor form of yoga. <laughs> <laughs> so, there is authority. And the authority may carry with it, in the dynamic of it, the important point here, it carries with it a relationship between the subject and the object, between people. And one has in the time, given one's authority to. I'm not saying good nor bad, I'm not making a judgment about it. I'm tempted, but I'm not. One says, I'm giving you authority to. And we are constantly doing it. We do it in the classroom, we do it in school, we do it in relationship, we do it in countless areas there. And it would appear, it would appear, part of the great Propensity, uh, perpentia. It would appear, proliferation of thought, ideas, pictures. Two, that I have the power and I'm, I'm handing it over to you. I'm giving you my power. You, you now have it. I, it's gone from the subject and it's moved over there and the object has now got it. It's called you, whoever the, you might be in our life. And therefore I feel... I have lost something, or I have separated myself from something called power, called authority, called position. And for one reason or the other, it's, it's moved extraordinarily, mystically, over to this other person who's now got the authority, the power there. When there is this view, there will always be resentment. There will always be resentment. You know what resentment is? Can you say the word? To resent, to find fault, to blame. 
Eh? Well, I feel I've given you my power, I've given you my authority, I'm looking up to you. One might begin with love and devotion, one might begin with, uh, oh, you are so wise, or you know so much, or you're so knowledgeable, or blah, 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 blah. And in the movement from the inner to the other, subject to the object, that uh, person, that, that there is no movement, it's a myth, but I'm talking as if it's true. That in the movement, when the person gains the authority, one feels, I've lost it after a while. I lack it. I don't have it. I've handed it over. Often the explanation will come in, oh, I didn't get enough something or other from my mother and father, those <laughs> poor devils that are blamed for all the problems. Uh, but in that movement, and the other person who gains the power, who gains the authority, who be, becomes a person with authority, possibly gets some pleasure out of it. Mm -hmm. huh? It's nice being in authority. You know, I, I prefer sitting here than out there. <laughs> and some people say, Oh, Christopher, you, know, you must have given so many talks over the, over the years. If I may say, I have given a lot of... Lot, lot, lot of Talks and some people say to me, "Oh, Christopher, I've listened. To, I've known you for such a long time. I've listened to so many of your talks." I said, "I don't care how many you have listened to. I've had to listen to them all." <laughs> <laughs> so there's a certain. <laughs> some of them I missed because I'm a bit tired, but you know what I mean. All right. So there's a certain authority and there's a certain pleasure in it. It's a comfort, it's nice to feel one's authority. Yeah. Yeah. In the movement, it's not a movement, it's a fiction from everyday language. In the movement to authority, one at some point in it will feel some loss, and the other will like it. And the probability is, once having tasted it, Because it makes one feel rather important. So one wants a little bit more of it. And then one starts to build it up. Whatever. And one develops a certain, whatever it might be, a certain charisma. One might, what else one might do to be an authority? One might, might dress a little, dare I say, Indian. <laughs> or... or uh, or might grow a beard or whatever, or have a few candles and flowers uh, around, or, or put a new Indian shawl around oneself, or, <laughs> apologies, uh, whatever it might be. And it helps to build up a little sense of, you know, I am somebody. You see? It will bring rebellion. It will bring the reaction at some point in it. Anyone who has spent time in a situation of continuous, continually being in the presence of authority and perceiving somebody as having authority and holding to the view will fight against it. Will fight against it. I'll give you two examples of my poor life. One... I told. I think I probably. I think I told this in India. Uh, there, when I was uh, in my teens, fifteen uh, years of age, at that time in uh, uh, England, 
one could leave schools at the age of 15 and, and start work, get a, a, a job. So come, I was in a school, a, a Catholic, Roman Catholic school, grammar school, priests and secular people running the school, etc. And when I got to the age of 15, you know, Harry on, I'm out of here, <laughs> etc. Because I didn't like authority and I didn't like the school and I was inspired by a statement of George Bernard Shaw who was the Irish literary writer, poet I think he got Nobel Prize as well for it, when he said the only time I stopped learning was when I went to school <laughs> and I felt yes I know exactly what you mean <laughs> so I came home and I told my, the priest look I'm off get me out of here and the priest, very sweetly, this is in 1959, 19, yeah, 1959, one evening came to my parents' house trying to persuade my parents to persuade me to stay in school. And I was banished to the kitchen. We were poor little council house tenants, you know, etc., and the three of them, the priest and my mother and father, were talking in the front room. It was a plot <laughs> to get me, to persuade me, because they couldn't, and the priest couldn't, they thought somewhere they could get me. And my mother reminded me, because she's got a better memory than I have, that in the middle of this conversation in this evening with me in the kitchen waiting for the plot, <laughs> I shouted out very loud at the top of my voice I am leaving school because it got nothing left to teach me <laughs> and my parents turned to the priest and said see what we mean see what we mean and, he said, and they agreed they gave up and next week I was out and uh, never been back to school except to speak at a few schools which I'm grateful I never went to Oxford University, Cambridge University, Harvard I, uh, my great compassion goes to all those students there and, and so sometimes one has to um, there's a reaction against authority problem big time problem with this one is, and you and I, of course, uh, may have no noticed this in ourselves because there's the mythology that goes on. We then take the view, uh, I'll relate to the second story in a moment or two. We then take, take the view, when I have authority in front of me, whoever it might be, it might be the older lover, has been one of the issues that for myself, I've been in a relationship, or it might be this particular teacher, or it might be uh, this school, or this boss, or whoever it might be, there's the, there's the perceived authority. And that in the dynamic, subject-object, to find out what the truth is, when there is something problematic which is going on, the tendency always with authority, is to want to transfer the authority. We want 
to take it back. Why? Because somehow we believe we've given it. And we believe, oh, and I've done this so often, so many times in my life, etc., etc. And when the wish is to take it back, the self, I don't mean this big self that the Hindu wallets talk about, this big S, I'm talking about little s. (laughs) Pathetic (laughs) little s. Having got the belief of the transference of authority, then wishes somehow, whatever it is, we don't even know, wishes then to take it back. And then the person will say, we hear this, oh, I'm taking back my authority. I'm going to find my own authority. I'm going to find myself. I've been too dependent on authority for so long. I'm going to find myself. Hopeless. Useless. A complete waste of time. It's never, nobody's ever succeeded. It's a great myth. One has to believe something is gone for something to be taken back. And all this idea is one big emptiness. How how am I going to deal with that? How am I going to make sense of that? I remember the story. I was in in the monastery. I don't know if any of you have ever lived in a a monastery, particularly a Buddhist monastery. The one that we were in was... um, about 15 hours on the train from Bangkok called uh, Wat China, as they say in southern Thailand. Wat China. Wat means monastery, temple. China, very exciting name. It means end of the rice paddy. <laughs> so I was in the monastery at the end of the rice paddy, which is where we were. Wat China. And uh, yet, yet yesterday... Uh, yesterday we, yeah, we, we split, didn't we? Was it yesterday we went out? Yeah, so yesterday we, we, we abandoned you. We're, we're two terrible parents. And we went, where did we go? How many? 200 kilometers was it? No, no. Andanak. <laughs> anyway, nine kilometers, not 200. Anyway, for a, for a little bit of computer thing there. And while uh, Nicole was talking, it looked like, to the manager of this computer store. And I've noticed this, if I may, may say, this is authority again, you see. Because she's beautiful, you see. The amount of attention. He was <laughs> smiling half an hour. <laughs> He'd explain anything to her. <laughs> and opening up boxes and putting in wires and trying out a loudspeaker and... Would this hard drive do? And would you like this? And can, I'll take your telephone number and I'll ring you back if we get this piece of information for you. Well, you know, when a guy goes in there, yeah, what do you want? No, I ain't got them. Go next door. <laughs> All right. So while she was talking, uh, talking away, da, 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 there was a television set. Well, a television set. There were hundreds of them. And they're all showing the same program. Why can't they have a hundred different programs on? And the program was on snakes. Did you notice? No, no, you were too busy talking. <laughs> and, and, and there was a television program on snakes. And I had a flash when I was watching of the monastery. And I thought, God, I recognise a couple of those snakes. There was a, there was a, 
there was there was a, there was a, co- a cobra there, and then there was which is pretty bad, and then there's the banded crate, which is if you get bitten by one of those, you know it's all over. Six minutes, it's a coma. You know it's goodbye. I had a I didn't I had a very bad snake bite. So I, it's another story. So anyway, I'm in the monastery. I'm in the monastery there, and you know we make a fuss about living with one person. Believe me, living with 200 is 200 times the problem. (laughs) And then you have G.O.D. in the monastery, who is the abbot, and it seems like he has all the authority. Every time you go to his room and talk to him and ask him questions, you know, it's... You know, you know what it's like in Thailand? Head down to the ground three times, you know, mighty car, etc. Authority, 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 authority. And people like me, who are no great lovers of authority, you know, and the day I shouted out to my parents, that was one of my more polite days. <laughs> <laughs> and you finally find yourself living with authority. And you're in silence. No reading permitted. He didn't like anybody meditating in, the, in their huts because he didn't trust any monk or any nun to do, be doing it. <laughs> so he was outside on the ledge of the hut, in the trees, that's where one did one's practice. So he could watch. As there it was. And this hut was 365 days a year. He went to the talk in the evening. You, did, you didn't not go. And me, being English and totally lazy in terms of learning a foreign language. I'm English. We're, we're born lazy, you know that. <laughs> part of the culture. It's a great tradition. <laughs> and, and I still had to go to every single talk. Didn't, and it would just go on in Thai. Yeah. And one couldn't just stretch the legs straight out, you know. You know, like stretch the legs out. Right, it's like people do it here. In Thailand, it's considered incredibly rude. It, you know, it, 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 it's... You know, it's like, um, uh, what might it be, 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 be like? It would be like dancing on the altar in the church. You just don't put, stretch your feet out. So you, and you never know how long the teacher will talk. See, at least with us, when we talk, I mean, at least, you know, it might be boring, but at least it won't be boring for more than an hour. <laughs> and the monastery... In, the whole sense of what timeless is quite different from the Dharma sense. You know, go on and on. The record, we, he started, if I remember rightly, around eight, between eight and nine, and he finished around twelve thirty. And you just, and if if I didn't go, he would send a a monk looking for me. And this is me, the only you know, Westerner in the place, the first year or two. And it's authority, authority, authority. The point I'm trying to make with all of this is that a million and one times I wanted to run. Get me out of here. The old conditioning from the school. Get me out of here. And I knew, and, and with all the reasoning, if I get out of here, I, I have my own authority. And, uh, and I have to find my own authority. And I, must, I don't want to be looking up to this authority or have this authority, etc. And one just learns to weather it. One learns to watch the conditionings of the reactivity day in and day out. 
One learns to live with some of the things that one's teacher said and his views and opinions which one disagreed with utterly, utterly. And you think, how can a liberated person utter such rubbish? <laughs> like that. These all go on. And three years and three months of living with this. One, everything was in relationship with the teacher. One did everything with the teacher except get into bed with him at night. <laughs> Apart from that, everything. Yet, in that, and learning to live with it, and explore it, and feed it through, and look at the reactivity, look at the conditioning, authority came somewhere else. It doesn't come from the self. It doesn't come from the I and the me and the my. It comes out of something else. And I say, the self cannot find it. We can't find authority by running away from it. We can't find authority in life, authentic authority, which is to make happen in a beautiful way. We can't find it by the view, I spent so much of my life giving it over to another person or persons and now I'm going to take it back. You won't find it this way. It's not a package. It's not... I have less and he or she has more. If one identifies with this position, the one who has more will want more and will end up dictators, egotists, controllers, manipulators. And because the idea of more and the power of attraction, that's why politicians... Hang on, look at, look, at, look at the Prime Minister in Britain. It's been history for years. Hanging on, hanging on to the last minute. He is. Everybody's waiting, come on, get out of Downing Street, the next bloke wants to get in. No, no. The wish to keep the power. So strong. And so the other, in this subject-object dynamic, if one feels it is something which is given, then they will feel the lack. And then the self would go into reaction. Anger, blame, negativity, analysis of it, etc. Can't be given, and it can't be taken back. It's not a package. It's not up for the measurement. And this misunderstanding, this problem, has to be looked in another way, which is free from giving and taking back, or feeling overwhelmed by, or dominated by and withdrawing. The answer is not with the I and the my. And if human beings are really willing to investigate and to really look into this, it's the message of the end of conflict. It's a profound message.
deeply significant message for our species. Some of those that people that I um, know and love and have a lot of uh, high uh, regard for, and of course, uh, teachers and uh, servants of others, and, and who, in the company of, you and I can think of people in our life, who, in somehow, in some way, kind of touch us well, touch us rather, rather deeply. And in those experiences of being touched well, shall we say, of being touched uh, uh, deeply, there's something rather precious about it, rather special about it. And in some way, some mis- way, no, I'm calling it mysterious, but in some way in our life, something happens which touches and brings something out of us which is profound and another will say he or she knows a lot through their experience he or she has a lot of knowledge about this, that and the other and when that's well understood others say, ah, this person has authority others will say this it's a simple recognition. But for the one who is with authority, as it were, the one with the authority, in this tradition is called the Kalyana Mitra. The one with the so-called authority, actually the, his or her perception is one of friendship. Others will say, oh, he or she has authority. But the moon of being is one of friendship and one begins to know what is friendship which imparts authority and it's precious to be around that unfortunately the conditioning of the small self easily rebels against that because it can't see the friendship it only sees the authority. And it compares. And said, oh, he or she's got all this authority, I haven't got any. And it can't see the friendship. And it's our loss. So I say, if we wish to feel a sense of deep authority with life, don't run away from figures of authority. Hang out with them. Be close to them. Feel them, experience them, feel the friendship, feel the authority. Live with them. Go through all the dance that one has to go through in the doing of it, like some of us did in the monastery. And then something happens in the relationship called subject and object, persons to persons. Am I making some rather foolish, rather terrible uh, confusion of transference of authority backwards and forwards. As though it was something that can be touched, something which has some substance to it, something which really is. 
One of the aspects of this, finally, finally, this, is that truth, Dharma language for a moment, is the engagement with the world, which you and I call subject-object for today, but it enters into the world. And in its entering into the world, when truth enters into it, it's an event. It changes it. It wakes us up. And the engagement of truth into the world, call it by any name, I'm calling it by truth today, means that it is a break with the unsatisfactory aspect of the past. Understand? Not much. People say this is truth, don't they? We're constantly getting all of these definitions of truth. We're constantly being told what reality is. We're constantly told there is only the now. You know, all these is all nonsense. There's an engagement in life going on. Forming together. Formed together. And these formations meet in the field of time. We're here for seven days as an example. When truth, as it were, enters into the dynamic, into the, into the uh, engagement, into the field called subject and object, one knows it because it does something to it. It makes it somehow different. It, it wakes us up. We discover something. We realise something. We make real. This is to realise, to make real. And therefore, it's a break with the old history. It's a break with the old conditioning. Understand? Is it any better? So our exploration, this total listening to each other as with the guided uh, uh, instructions yesterday from uh, uh, Nicole, oh, the, uh, attending, the attending to the talk, you're lying in the horizontal posture, the quietness of the day, whatever it might be, the sharings, the one-to-ones, the groups, the inquiries, whatever. Here's the normal event, the normal discourse of life unfolding itself. And in the midst of all of this unfoldment that's going on, at times, something comes through it which makes things clear. And that which makes things clear is called truth. Nobody's got it. Thank goodness. No philosopher, no guru, no authority figure, no religion, not a chance. No uh, politician, philosopher, psychologist, scientist, or full catastrophe. Nobody can have it. 
But in the unfoldment of conditions, somehow things happen which wake us up, which reveal something, which makes something clear, and the characteristic of it is that which was unhealthy, non-useful, problematic, difficult, which obscured and coloured and distorted and made life difficult because of the projections, it breaks through that. And when that is broken through, when there is clarity through that, <coughs> truth has just landed. Wow, nice one. We're not in here to be nice people. Far too many nice people in the world. Not, not here to have a nice feeling of oneness. Oh, subject, object's too difficult. Authority, having it and not having it's too difficult. Let's all feel cosy <laughs> and, and one. The, the, the spiritual wallows of these times, they're, they're, they're mad about experiences of oneness, oneness, oneness. Oh, we're all one. Everybody, we're all one. Eh? We get tired of it within 24 hours. So all this is being imposed upon as though that's some, how things really are, some great truth, life is one. Nonsense. It's just another religious ideology no different from all the others. So we're interested, what is this? which is truth what is realisation to make real to discover what is real and it comes to us and we don't know from where and we don't know how and we can't repeat it like an experiment we can't say oh I'll go on a retreat with Christopher and Nicole and I'm going to I had a great insight and I was leaning up against the radiator with my blanket, my pink blanket and my orange socks and my orange blanket with the red squares there. I hadn't combed my hair that day, I remember. And, uh, and I was listening like that. So if I come and do that again in May 2008, because I'm doing the same, and Chris has given the same sort of talk, then maybe I'll have another realisation, or the same realisation all over again. One can repeat experiments but there's no repetition of truth. Truth is not in repetition. It's not belonging to the now. It's not fixed in a moment. And so therefore we are profoundly interested, deeply interested in what we call subject-object. What we call unfolding circumstances of this life that we're living in. And in all the receptivity and the sensitivity and the respect for each other and the care and the listening and the exploration, maybe in all of that, the event happens. Truth enters into the field. You think, whoa, whoa. Male beings live with awareness. 
may all beings explore this extraordinary field we are participating in. May all beings live with great realization. <laughs>